Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Art Artist Business. My name is Jessica Orchik, and I am here with the stunning Tatiana Lee. Tatiana Lee is an award-winning actress, international model, and Hollywood influencer. She serves as Hollywood's inclusionist at the Respectability, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to fight stigmas and advance opportunities for people with disabilities. Uh, growing up in Coatesville, Pennsylvania, she, she felt invisible because she, you know, she didn't see anyone who looked like her in the popular media. And when she told people about her ambitions to be an actress and a model, they, they laughed at her. Nevertheless, she moved to Los Angeles to pursue her acting career and learned how to harness the power of social media to speak boldly about accessibility and inclusion in mass media. And she soon became the voice behind AccessibleHollywood.com, where she highlights her journey as an actress, model and lifestyle influencer born with spina bifida. Uh, she was also one of Apple's first ad campaigns featuring people with disabilities using Apple's accessible features and products. And her credits include the 2018 Disability Film Challenge, Best Awareness Film Footloose, and Coffee with Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, just to name a few. She's appeared in modeling campaigns for Target, Zappos, Apple, and more. And she was also the 2018 recipient of the Christopher Reeves Acting Scholarship. So please make her welcome. Tatiana Lee. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you. It's been long overdue. <laughs> it has. It has. Um, I'm so happy to have you here. And look, um, as you know, it, you know, it's, it's, it's been a crazy time with everything going on, but I, I want to kick off because I, I love, I love delving into people's inside and the things that sort of motivate them. And you're one of the most interesting people I've, I've ever had the privilege of meeting. And, you know, I, I want to ask you like my famous question, which I always kick off with, if, if you could have dinner with any uh, three people dead or alive, and you could discuss art, artist and the business who would they be? And then also if you could have an after party, who would you invite? And I know these are going to be interesting people, especially with everything happening in the current climate. So I can't wait. So I'm going to pose it over to you already. <laughs> okay. So, wow, those are fun questions, first of all. So if I was to have, you said a dinner party? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can talk. With three famous people that are alive. Okay. Yes. Um, it would be... Number one, Langston Hughes, who is an amazing poet, activist from the Harlem Renaissance movement. Um, I'm a huge fan of his work. He really did a lot um, fighting for civil rights and stuff. So Langston Hughes would be one. He's Hit. dead. Um, could you tell me a little, just, I just, you just, it just sparked something. And obviously we have a lot of listeners from Australia, the Harlem movement. Can you give us a little bit of a background into that? Cause um, yeah, I'm so, please educate so the me. Harlem the Harlem Renaissance was kind of when, during a time where there was segregation um, for people of color, but then there was this thriving movement of art and and music and just just culture that came out of Harlem, New York. And one of the one of the big names that came out of that movement was Langston Hughes and he was a poet and really advocated for you know civil rights and stuff like that and so I really love a lot of his poetry I'm, I'm a sucker for amazing poetry mm. um and actually studied a lot of his work while I was in college and so I just think as an artist he is very fascinating to me mm. so and and he he did a great job of mixing artistry with activism 
And I think that is a huge part of me. And so he would definitely be one of those people that I would sit down and have a conversation with. Um, so that would be one. My second would be Tyra Banks, who is alive. <laughs> um, I love Tyra Banks. She is amazing. Um, I grew up watching America's Next Top Model. Remember when I when in my bio you read that yes. people laughed at me when I told them I wanted to be a model. And I was seven years old and my mom bought me a Polaroid camera. And the first thing I did was organize a photo shoot in my front yard. What seven-year-old, you know, organizes a photo shoot in their front yard? So that was when I knew I was destined to want to have a career in front of the camera. Like I knew since seven years old. Mm. And people, when I would try to book like modeling jobs or go on open castings and things like that as a kid, like it just wasn't for me. People would like, it, like people would very much make it clear that that was no possibility in the world for me as a person with spina bifida, as a person with a disability, as a wheelchair user, crutches user, because as a kid, I went back and forth from a wheelchair to crutches. Mm. Um, that modeling was not even in the cards for me at all. Um, but wow. when America's Next Top Model, I grew up on America's Next Top Model. And so I would watch and study that. I would watch and study everything that Tyra Banks did, everything that she taught the models and everything like that. Not only that, just the way she branded herself, the way she um, just used her platform to not only elevate herself, but to elevate other people mm. um, that, that mattered to me. And just the way she branded herself and the way she diversified herself and her brand like that was amazing for me and she was and still is like my idol um so definitely Tyra Banks um so okay. Tyra Banks Langston Hughes and one other person um and they don't have to be famous by the way I mean a couple a couple of friends of mine have come on and said they'll they'd take me to dinner because I'm a, well actually they take me to the after party apparently because I'm a lot of fun at the after parties but, oh but, my um, gosh. <laughs> but yeah um, like anyone, and they don't have to be famous um, no. I'm trying to think who else who else would it be um hmm maybe Oprah oh well that makes it would sense. definitely be Oprah yeah, it would be Oprah. So those three, Tyra Banks, Langston Hughes, and Oprah. Those would be the three people I would sit and have a conversation with about like art, the business, just life. I, it would be a, a eye-opening, amazing conversation. I feel like after I would have that conversation, I would literally be ready to take on the world. <laughs> I, um, well, I, well, you definitely would be, you definitely, I mean, Oprah is like, I mean, it's like when people say it, you go, well, it's a given. She's just one of the most incredible people I think that exists in the, in the world today. Um, what about, okay. So then what, what would happen if you could have an after party and you could add two extra guests? Now these, these people, you know, these people may not be like just these people might do, you just might want to have some fun with or dance. Or I always say, you know, talk, talk deep and meaningful conversations till like 3am in the morning, you know, like you've got those two different kinds of French. Like, so yeah, I was just, and who would, would you have anyone at your after party? Um, at my after party, it would, okay, I am gonna add, technically, it's going to be three, but one I see as a duo. So at the after party, it would be that group that I mentioned, so Langston, who's Oprah and Tyra Banks, and then I would add 
um, Beyonce and Jay-Z, because I think they're amazing power couple that are doing so much um, just for the culture and just for mm. just people of color and just for the industry and just for, you know, entertainment. I think they are like the epitome of that. Yes. And I think they, they do an amazing job and they're just amazing power couple. Um, I hope one day that I can meet a man that I can just be just as much as an amazing power couple with as mm. they are. And the last person would be, and I'm going to cry, my dad. Um, (laughs) My dad just passed away. Um, And he, um, too, was an artist. He was a painter and a poet. um, And he just passed away. Um, And he would just be so fun to just hang out with this group of people and just be there. And it would just be a, a lit night it would just be so cool it would just be filled with just amazing black excellence culture just uh just such a good time uplifting conversation um and I would be so enlightened so and just to be in the presence of just so many amazing people so that would be my after party <laughs> that sounds that sounds amazing tell tell me a little bit about your dad like uh as as an artist and stuff did he was he a big like uh inspiration for you and influencing you growing up and and sort of motivating you to pursue what you wanted to do actually honestly my dad wasn't in my life as a kid um he he wasn't in my life as a kid I only started getting to know him in the past 10 years so I didn't get to learn as much as I wanted to learn about him um but you know he he was an artist that just went with the wind and just did his thing and you know, so we were actually in the middle of working on our relationship and everything like that. And so I would definitely want that time to sit and talk with him and get to know mm-hmm. more about him and more about that, that I never got the chance to really dive into. So I would definitely want that chance. Um, but he, you know, he continues to live on in me. There's so many things about me that I know that I got from him, like his charm and his smile and his creativity as an artist. And my mom's an artist too. So it's like, I'm, I'm, I have artistry on both sides of me. So I'm definitely an artist through and through. Um, And so that, yeah, that would be interesting to just dive into all of that. But yeah, I didn't have a chance for him to be an influence in me growing up. My mom was my my biggest influence that like pushed me to just do whatever I wanted that made me happy and to just teach me to not let anything stop me and put that my mom never allowed me to let limitations that society put in front of me to stand in my way. She always encouraged me to keep pushing. And if it was something I wanted to figure it out and make it happen. And, and that was a huge um, inspiration to me growing up. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd love to know too, a little bit more about growing up and what, I mean, that, you know, you, you do obviously with your disability and, and being a person of color, it's like, there would have been a lot of different, um, you know, mountains to climb. Um, so, you know, especially it's important that, you know, you do have a good parent that supports you, um, you know, and how, how was that for you growing up? You know, I'd love to sort of hear a little bit of, you know, your insight into where, where did you grow up in the States? Did you grow up here in LA? So, 
Um, so for the first 10 years, I grew up in LA. So I was born in LA, lived here, lived in LA for the first 10 years of my life. And then my mom had my baby sister. And then we moved to um, Pennsylvania, which is my mm. mother's hometown. My mom was born and raised in Philadelphia. Um, my mom really? and her family is Philadelphia natives through and through. Um, so we moved back to Pennsylvania. Um, I lived on the outskirts of Philadelphia in the suburbs um, and spent the rest of my life there from 10 up until, you know, 2000. I think I moved back to LA in 2011. I moved back um, to LA. So between that time, um, I lived in Pennsylvania. And so I did rest of elementary school, middle school, high school, um, in Pennsylvania. Um, it was interesting. I lived in a suburban neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was somewhat diverse, um, very somewhat conservative. So it was very interesting for me. Um, I was picked on a lot as a kid. I was teased. Um, and I went through a lot of challenges, dealt with a lot of, you know, depression and yeah. had a lot of different surgeries, um, to correct my feet because due to my spina bifida, I had, um, deformed feet. So I went through a lot of surgeries, had a lot of different medical complications. So I spent a lot of time in and out of the hospital. Um, and that's, and that in itself would just be like such a strain, you know, I mean, it, it is a strain for everybody just mentally and emotionally, you know, just like it's, it's exhausting. So I, I, I can't even imagine what they would have felt like. So, you know, let alone exactly. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It was very, very challenging. And then going back to school and trying to keep up and then, um, and then also I have learning disabilities. I have ADHD and then I have, um, dyscalculia and I have, um, dyslexia and so like learning was very complicated for me although when I had the right accommodations and things I was I, I, I did well in school um, mm -hmm. I participated in um, I remember in third grade I participated in what was a speak-off where I had to memorize poems and I would recite them and I got a first uh, first place trophy um, for the whole school district for doing the speak off. And so I, I was very much wanting to be involved in things that were art related. And then um, for a lot of times I wasn't able to, because I missed a lot of school, was denied access to participating in like um, theater and things like that. Like I couldn't do extracurriculars because I, I that was, was like a thing yeah, because they I would was, tell you because you were considered kind of a special ed student or wow. no, not even special ed because I was in mainstream classes, but I had an IEP and I had accommodations and stuff. Their, their, their thought was to make sure I focused on my studies so that I could do well. So I didn't get to do a lot of kind of after school things, not until I got to be a little bit older. Um, and yeah, so, I find that amazing. Oh, That's yeah. still, no, no, no. I was just saying, I find that amazing that, you know, I mean, whilst obviously like, you know, education is good. It's just amazing to me that there's still a stigma surrounding creative education. I know Australia has a lot of problems with that where they don't actually value the importance of acting or dance or anything. And, and what it does for um, people's mindsets, especially if they're, if they are struggling with either mental health or learning difficulties and, uh, and disabilities, you know, these things are really important at actually fueling this self-worth and self-esteem and feeling them making them feel a part of a community so it's interesting that exactly this is happening across the other side of the world as well in in your community yeah so yeah so that happened for me and it wasn't until I was in ninth grade when I got to high school and what happened was my eighth grade social studies teacher 
um, she um, saw how hard I tried and how well when I was focused, how well I did. And she it was like, you're very exceptional and applied for me to be a part of this program, which was a program for exceptional children or except, exceptional students that had barriers against them for whatever reason, whether it was they were more impoverished um, or, you know, mostly were kids who were more impoverished um, or who had least likely to have access to opportunities. And so I got accepted into this program and with the program, it came, came with a mentor. And so like you got support with school, you got to do networking. And then when you graduated, they gave you like a certain amount of money to continue your education in college or after high school education. And it also came with a mentor. And so they paired me up with this mentor and the mentor I had made sure I did extracurriculars. And at the time it was funny. She was on the, she was the head of a, the board of the local plant parenthood. And so my extracurriculars ended up being sex education to then teach it to the community. <laughs> so she wow. made me with plant parenthood. And so I'm an educator for plant parenthood. And what so was, that what was that being, experience like? I mean, that would have been just a very <laughs> unique thing to be like. It was interesting. It was interesting. It was fun because then I learned about like STDs and like sex, sex education. And then I got to teach it to my community because there were other girls in my neighborhood that were coming up pregnant and having a lot of that was like around that time where like it was this huge boom of like teenage pregnancies and stuff. So like, wow. it, it was really, really interesting. And so I was able to do that and that became my extracurriculars. And then that was when I started finding a passion for activism and, and advocating for just women. And it didn't even have anything to do with disability. It just had to do with women's, women's health and women's reproductive rights and things like that. So I got heavily involved in that. But then um, what happened was that was about ninth, ninth, 10th grade. And then in 10th grade, I got sick and ended up in the hospital again. And in 10th grade, um, after I was starting to get better and trying to get back in the swing of school, I had my yearly IEP meeting, which is IEP, Individualized Education Plan, which is what, if you're a student with a disability or a learning disability, they kind of have to adopt or make accommodations for you based on what you need. And at my oh, okay. yearly IEP meeting in 10th grade, they sat down with me and my mom and told me that I was so far behind in school that there was no way I was going to be able to finish. And that they told me my best option was to drop out of high school. And so at 10th grade, I dropped out of high school. At the I am actually shocked that you're, this is, see, this is stuff that we don't, this is the information we don't, like you were actually encouraged to drop out of high school, not encouraged to improve, not encouraged to nope. keep learning, encouraged to actually leave school. Wow. Yep. Encouraged to leave school, drop out and get a GED. Um, and so that was what I did um, because that was what the whole entire school, my guidance counselor, everyone, they said, there's no way you're going to make finish in time to graduate because you've missed too much school from being in the hospital. You're too far behind. Um, and then, you know, I still had learning disabilities and things like that. And so I dropped out at 10th grade. And then what I did was I taught myself, I got a GED book, taught myself the rest of the things that I needed to know, got help with the things that I needed help with, like math, which was the most challenging for me due to my dyscalculia. Um, 
and had a friend who just happened to be very well and did very well in math, a older friend who was out of college, an adult friend of mine. Um, and she taught me the math I needed. And I went into a room and took my GED test and I, I, I passed it with flying colors. I actually scored high enough that I received a diploma. Um, so wow. I ended up finishing in time. Um, I actually <laughs> didn't get my GED until after, I want to say maybe like a little six months after my graduating class graduated, um, got my GED. And then from there, I, I went and enrolled in community college. I, I mean, your mindset, like listening to you talk, your, your mindset has always been really like, if you want something, you really go after it, after it. Like, I mean, I'm just listening to it, you know, and even when people keep telling you that something's, you know, not possible, you just, you just keep going, yes, it is. And then you find a way. Do you, is there something that you believe is inherently that drives you to have that kind of a mindset? Because I know that, you know, I, I mean, I obviously educate a lot of actors and teach a lot of different people. And this is something I actually have to work on with people quite consistently. Like if you want something in life, you can do anything. You've just got to believe that you can do it, you know? Um, and I think you're a real testament to that. So I'd love to hear like, you know, like, yeah, is there a driving force? Is it your faith? Is it, is it your support? You know, what is it that allows you to have such a, uh, you know, a driving sort of mindset where, you know, any challenge, you just shoot it down, and just, you know, climb over the top. I think it's all of those things. Well, I had a mom that always encouraged me to never give up. Um, also in my faith, I uh, grew up and still am a practicing Nichiren Buddhist. Um, and my Buddhist faith is, is completely grounded in knowing that inherently you have the power to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish as long as you're willing to do the work and as long as the work is rooted in in humanism and wanting the best for the world and your environment then you have no choice but to win um and so i think my driving force is first growing up i was always told no 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 and I think inherently in my heart, I, I always knew those no's were, I mean, inherently because of society and the things that are put on us, inherently you think, no, this isn't going to be possible. But I think I operate in the realm of, and this is something I've been talking about um, with my therapist, which I'm recently in therapy. So I'm like diving into all of this. And it's like, inherently I operate in the the ideal of if you tell me what I can't do I'm going to show you that I can <laughs> and so I operate I in resonate the, with the that system of, of proving people wrong um and that's just how I operate so it's like if you're going to tell me something that I'm not going to do I'm going to show you that I'm going to do it and so I think with that and on, and on top of me and my Buddhist practice of like, leave, leave society and the world, do some things for the world to leave it better than you, than you, than you inherited it. So I think in that, so it's like, what can I do to advance this world mm -hmm. for the better? And um, yeah, and it's just, you know, ultimately believing in myself. And I honestly believe within my heart that I was put on this earth to achieve something greater than myself. I honestly, truly believe that. And so I think I operate from that. So I look 
for what can I do to advance and something greater than myself. And one of the things that I've seen throughout my entire life being born with a disability is that people do not value the lives of people with disabilities. No matter what you look like, no matter how you move about the world, people do not respect the dignity of a disabled person. Mm. Um, just even with COVID going on recently, we had to fight for people to say, um, you know, to put us on a ventilator to save our lives because they don't see the value in our lives. Oh I mean, gosh. and just think about it. We, we, we're just now celebrating the 30th anniversary of the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah. And there's still so much inequities that are for people with disabilities when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to education, mm. when it comes to jobs. It, there's so representation um, in media. People with disabilities, we only make up 2.3% of what you see in mass media, but we make up 20% of the population. Wow. And so, and I, I've experienced what it feels like for people to not respect you as a person, as a human being. I am a black woman who is also a, has a very visible disability. So you can imagine I've experienced all the disrespect you can ever experience in this world. I think the only thing that I have not experienced the disrespect from is being LG is being a part of the LGBTQ community. And I'm a strong wow. ally for the LGBTQ community, but I can't imagine what someone black, disabled, and trans is experiencing. But as a <sighs> black woman with a disability, I have experienced every piece of disrespect you can ever imagine from people as soon as I open my mouth telling me oh my gosh and being appalled that I even have an education or that I even know how to talk let alone speak intelligently I've literally had people after I open my mouth and say two sentences have their mouth drop and say oh my gosh you speak so well because their first thought is wow oh, she can't speak. Oh, she, there's no way she can be educated. There's no way she can do X, Y, Z. And then I've been in public where people will speak to my family and think that I can't even speak or even order food for myself. Um, just things like that. And it's just, it just blows my mind. And so I, I, I don't like the disrespect. So I can't imagine what other people are going through also. No, I can imagine. I can imagine. That's the thing. And so it's like, I have to speak up. I have to say something. Yeah. I have to use my voice. And when I moved to LA, to, you know, I moved back to LA to pursue a career because I, I wanted to pursue modeling and acting. And just to kind of back up, after I, you know, got my GED and stuff, I went to college and I majored in business marketing. Because, first of all, I always had a business kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. That was always my thing. I was a kid at like 10 years old um, selling kittens in my front yard. I had a cat and she would go out into the alley and she would get pregnant. And she would come back and we would have all these litters of kittens. I would sell them in my front yard. And I was like, who wouldn't want to buy kittens from a cute little <laughs> black girl with a disability? Like, who's going to say no to that? I so, love that. 
I used it as a hustle as a kid, you know, I would make money because, you know, I, I grew up, you know, for a long time with my mom, you know, not having a lot of money and, you know, working really hard, working paycheck to paycheck. And I would just, for myself, I wanted to go to the store and buy things for myself. So I would have little hustles and, or my mom would, you know, buy me chips and I would sell them in a front. And so I always had a business mindset, but then I always wondered growing up as a teenager, why didn't I see people that look like me in media? Why didn't I look mm. like, see people that look like me? I used to love the Noxzema advertising ads where you would see the girl washing her face and you would see the water splash on her face. And she was just so glowing and beautiful and just carefree. And I would always watch that and look at 17 magazines and say, why isn't there a person with a disability in any of this? I can't identify with that. I can't identify with that because she does not have a disability. And most of the time they weren't even black. So I couldn't mm. identify with any of that. And it really shaped um, my self-esteem for myself. Yeah. Um, I went through depression so much, low self-esteem and being um, in abusive relationships. Um, my very first relationship with a guy was abusive because I felt that my value, that was all I could I could attract because I was not worthy. And that's mm. what media does to you yes, when you're not represented. Does. When you're not represented, it makes you feel as if you're not worthy. You're not worthy of being loved. You're not worthy of being respected and valued. And I had to have my mom tell me and feed me the opposite every day because when you look at media, boy, like it's it's exhausting and but, so but it's it's also too like it's not it, the media shape but then it's people's attitudes that follow i mean i i talk about this quite frequently you know just even giving people an opportunity that when they're starting out there are so many people that are like uh, my last podcast it's so funny you say so many things that resonate with me sorry i love it because it just gets me excited but I, I i spoke a lot about about you know that, that being an artist is more than just the glitz and the glam. It's actually the, the work that you're doing, the message that you're trying to get out there and actually having an effect on people because that's when, the, when, when it really, really matters because when people start to respect other people in general, respect other people's journeys, respect other people's passions, respect other people's talents, respect other people's cultures, sexualities, any of the things that you're talking about, um, whether, you know, whether able or disabled, like that is when we actually start to see equality in the world. Only then do we start to see, because then we're not having conversations about it like this. You know, we're not actually, exactly. you know, we're actually living exactly. in a world where everyone is like treated with that same thing. So I, I, I really, really resonate with that. And the media, it does start with the media because they put this, it does. this, this thing out there that we're supposed to live up to, um, you know, and, and I can't even, like you're saying a lot of like things that I've never experienced. I wouldn't know, but I, I, I'm, I am bisexual. So, you know, I hid that for a lot of years. I mean, not, um, I, I, this is also some of the few times I come out and actually say this. And I said this to a few people, I think it's only been in the last few years that I've actually started to publicly announce that because I came from two actors, you know, in Australia that were quite well known. And so, you know, back when I, it was not something you said, especially when I was a dance teacher, you know, people, I, I used to think people were going to think I was going to, you know, molest their kids or take advantage of them in some way. And, you Horrible, know, right? it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. It's like, you know, and let alone being a woman and then getting older, this is the other thing that I can't stand. You know, it's like, apparently we're only supposed to be 20, you know, play 20 year olds or we're supposed to play grand 
grandmas. There's no great roles in between. In between. So I mean, exactly. I, I, and exactly. It, the responsibility falls there, but also the responsibility. And I love how outspoken you are. And I and and this and this makes me passionate and excited when I have people like this that I meet because when we're the we're the voices that inspire others to to have that same voice. You know, we we come on and say, hey, you guys have got to start having a voice of your own and start standing up for this because unless there's enough of us that do it, nothing will change. It does not exactly. change. Exactly, exactly. And so um, that was what I realized because I moved, so I moved to LA. Um, so yes, I majored in business marketing and then wanted to do acting. I, my goal was to, I wanted to learn how to interject um disability into mass media because i realized i was very much aware and i think i attribute this to my my awareness from my from my buddhist practice just being aware i realized the effect that not having representation of yourself affects you mentally i was very much aware of that and so i moved to la and i said you know what and I just, and I did want the glitz and glam. When I first moved to LA, that was what I wanted. I thought I was going to come to LA, enjoy the glitz and glam of Hollywood. I used to actually think people with disabilities just didn't want to be in, in entertainment. I didn't realize they were actual barriers. Um, and I came to LA and I was like, oh, I'm going to have a thriving modeling career. I'm going to have a great acting career. I'm going to do all of these things and it's just going to be great. It's going to be amazing. LA is so progressive and, you know, all of those things and so open-minded. I just thought I was going to move to LA and it was just going to be the best. Moved to LA and people, I had friends that I met and people would tell me, oh, go to open castings and, you know, go to networking events and just meet people. And, oh my gosh, you're gorgeous and you have a great personality. It'll be great. And I would go to these networking events and I would go to these open castings and they would literally not be wheelchair accessible. Um, and so that was when I realized this was a huge problem and I'm like, okay, so California is not as progressive as I think they are. Um, it's not wheelchair accessible. What am I going to do? And so I started, I started, so then that was when I started using my voice and I said, oh, people don't realize that people with disabilities want to work in this industry. So I was like, you're not going to stop me from having my fabulous life. <laughs> and so that was when my, my, my activism kicked in. And so I created Accessible Hollywood, which I just would go to events and I would critique it. I would critique the accessibility. I would talk about if there were more people with disabilities, which at that time there weren't. I was the only mm. disabled person in the room. Um, and a lot of times I wouldn't be able to get in and I would talk about it. I would talk about it and I would let people know, like people with disabilities want to be in these spaces, want to be in these rooms, you guys need to do something. And from there, it just rolled into more opportunities. It started getting more attention. And then from there, I just took my career in my own hands. I had a friend who had a camera. We would, I would just buy outfits and I would just take photos. And then I just mm. started just doing my own modeling on my Instagram. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do that. And I'm just going to keep doing it until something happens. And that's what I did. And then after that, I had booked my very first modeling job, um, which was about, I want to say maybe four and a half, five years ago. And it was an ad campaign for Apple. And I did, I did a commercial and then I did um, their accessibility page. I was featured on there. Um, and since then, kind of my career just has kept rolling from there. I've done some films, some short films that have been in film festivals, won some awards, um, 
like you said earlier, I won the Christopher Reeve scholarship and I yeah. have been able to do so much. And now I go around and I do panel conversations, just talk for the entertainment industry, just talking about disability inclusion, because we do have to have these awkward conversations with these gatekeepers because they yes. don't see the value in making sure people with disabilities are included. So people like myself um, and so many others are having to be in these rooms with these gatekeepers and have these awkward conversations and saying, you know, just like I'm talking with you, we make yeah. up 20% of the population. We're so diverse. We're the most diverse. Um, people with disabilities, we intersect into every other marginalized group um, and every other group, period, marginalized or not. Um, and so, you know, having these conversations with them so that they can open up more opportunities to act because me as an actor, so I booked when I booked my first modeling job that then got me signed with my agent that I'm currently with now, um, who's amazing. She represents so many actors and performers with disabilities. Um, and uh, but uh, and who's but, that? Is that Gail? Gail, yeah, yes. uh huh, Gail Williamson. Yes. I so love her, <laughs> she's awesome. I've been with her since the start of my career. Um, after I did the first campaign, I did, um, she signed me after that. And then um, I've had so many auditions and things like that, but it's so hard to book something because then most of the time, the roles that come in are just specifically people with disabilities. And if it is, usually they're saying woman in wheelchair or a person with a wheelchair, and then you're competing against all of these other people with disabilities. So if it's just a person with a disability, they're going to see every person with a disability. And most of the time, they're going to go for the white person with a disability before they're going to go for the person of color with a disability. And mm -hmm. so there's so many challenges. And then also I'm plus size. So then when it comes to modeling, it's like, yes, if a modeling or a, a brand is looking for to use somebody with a disability, a lot of times they will more than likely go for the more slimmer person with a disability. So there's so many barriers yeah. and just stuff on top of stuff and it's just it's a lot but it's like you know we have to keep having these conversations with these people until they get it and yes. so just for the past year four or five years my activism has just been in overdrive until I can see more representation of people of color with disabilities and more opportunities for myself because even opportunities for myself are far and few between and any of the ones that I've have gotten I've had to fight like hell for. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You are like, I, I mean, you, you do, you have to have these conversations and you do have to fight for what you want. And this is, this is like in, uh, you know, true for us all, but, but specifically those that have bigger barriers put up against them. And there are so many, um, you know, people like yourself that, that, you know, that the, the list goes on. I mean, you just, I just heard the word plus size, which I personally, I, you know, whilst I know we've accepted that now in the community is even a term, I can't stand it. I'm like, why can't we just be a size? Why is there a value to it being thin or plus, you know, because I feel like that also creates such a stigma in people's minds, you know, I mean, uh, I like I've suffered a lot with different weight issues through the past, especially because I was in the dance world and, you know, and, and binge eating. And this is uh, various different other things that have happened. Um, and that's, that's that other reason, you know, you go through these stages. So it's, but I, 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 I think it's important that we have people like yourself being as vocal as you are. I think it's necessary and I think it's important because unless we start to keep doing this, like I said, unless more of us keep doing this, that nothing changes. It's just the same thing day in, day out. 
Um, exactly. I wanted to. I wish. I wish I could be more vocal. I. I, I know. I, I know. I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say. You. You know. You really should speak up a little bit more about this. No, but I. I um. So funny. So funny. No, but I do want to ask because talking about issues that that I think it's really important to be vocal about. I'd love to sort of talk to you a little bit about your views on 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 what's happening right now, especially in the United States, because I know, you know, Black Lives Matter is a world issue, but I certainly think that United States have really led this being brought back to the forefront. I think for many, many countries, Western countries specifically, um, and understanding the importance of equality and, and listening to your story too, understanding the importance of education, understanding the importance of, of equal rights and opportunities in terms of accessibility on a number of levels. Um, I, I'd love to hear your views on this and, and, and please in, enlighten, enlighten the audience that are listening at home um, on some things that we may not be privy to. So I think the Black Lives Matter movement is, is, is very important. I think people, so first of all, growing up in Black culture, you, you live by a separate set of rules than your white counterpart. And I think that is something that people who don't think that people, people of color have the same equal rights, I think that is something they need to understand. Uh, people who are not of color, particularly not Black, um, do not have to have those awkward conversations with their child that, oh, if you go outside and play, be careful because you may be stopped by the police and the police may kill you. White people don't have to have that conversation with their kids. I remember my mom having that conversation with my brother when he was 15 years old, oh um, just to go outside and play football as a kid. As a 13 year old, my brother having to, ha my mom having to have that conversation with my brother, you know, be careful going outside to play football with your friends because a cop may kill you for playing football. And I think this is something that the rest of society isn't necessarily preview to. And they don't realize the things that happen, why we end up in more po impoverished neighborhoods, why those things happen. It's because of discrimination and laws that were literally put in place to basically put us in these neighborhoods that you consider ghettos, um, how we got there in the first place. We were forced there because of so many different things from less access to education, less access to great healthcare, less access to jobs, things like that. And it's, so we were forced into these neighborhoods and now we're dealing with gentrification where now white people are taking over these black neighborhoods again. My neighborhood that I live in right now is going through gentrification. It was a, you know, considered, you know, a more, you know, middle class, but middle class black people. And now it's, it's white more than ever and the prices are going up. And so, so many of those things, and I think that is something society isn't necessarily understanding and preview to. And not only that, the cops have been killing police for, I mean, the cops have been killing people of color for years. Um, actually, the original police force were slave catchers. So the police system is inherently, they're doing what they're supposed to do. But it's wrong because they're over-policed in these Black neighborhoods, yes. which is resulting in people of color being killed at an alarming rate, which is horrible. And there's just so much going on. And if you don't think it's a problem, look right now. 
there's somebody who was just out trying to help somebody break up a fight and is now shot and is now spending his life being paralyzed for the rest of his life. Thank God he is still alive. And then you have this kid who is white and has a gun and is shooting people who are peacefully protesting and he's still alive and unharmed and not even arrested until later and essentially being protected by the police. And so if that doesn't show you that people who are black versus people who are white are treated different by the police, then I don't understand what you're not seeing. Then you're completely just choosing not to see it. Not only that, I think within the disability um, community, it's very important to advocate and fight for Black Lives Matter for a few different reasons. First, um, the Black Panthers were huge supporters of the protest that led to the ADA being passed here in America. Mm. Um, so, and the Black Panthers were in place to help support Black people and to help more marginalized people just have equal rights and access and would feed them and support them and just do for marginalized people what the government wouldn't do. And so the Black Panthers supported um, you know, the movement, the protest that led to the passing of the ADA and the 504 sit-in and all of those things. So you owe Black people for just having equal rights as a person with a disability or somewhat equal rights as a person with a disability here in America. Not only that, 50% of the people that are killed by the police statistically are people of color with disabilities. If you are a Black man and you are deaf, and you are pulled over by the police and the police, you can't communicate with the police because you are deaf, um, you're more likely to be shot by the police because they assume you're being disrespectful when really you just can't communicate because you're deaf and they don't know how to sign. Wow. Or if you're on the autism spectrum um, and you don't know how to interact or the police don't know how to interact with somebody who's on the autism spectrum and you're a black man and you're a, a tall stature black man and you're on the autism spectrum, they will look at you as if you're a threat to them when you're not. You won't even harm a fly, Elijah McClain. He was killed, he was on the autism spectrum and was literally just minding his business and was killed and shot by the police. Do you know his, his officers are still not arrested? So you have to stand up. You can't say you fight for disability rights if you're not fighting for Black lives. Yes. Because Black lives intersect with disability and disability intersects into Black lives. And so you can't say you stand up for disability if you do not fight for Black lives. Mm -hmm. And I say this within the Black Lives Matter movement because it's not perfect. A lot of times they leave disability out of the conversation. Why? Because of stigmas around disability. But you can't fight for, you can't fight for Black lives and not fight for disability rights. So mm -hmm. it's all intersected into each other. And then I think what people don't realize, the whole entire system is set up under white supremacy. Yes. And I know people don't like that word, white supremacy, but white supremacy all it is is a society and a culture that is the way that the society and the culture is set and who sets the standard for that society and for that culture. And our society and our culture 
has been set on white standards, on white European standards, that is white supremacy. It's not this, it, white supremacy doesn't look like the KKK. People think when you think white supremacy, they think you're, you're saying they're the KKK with the, with the hooded mask and all of that stuff and torches. No, it is literally the systems that are put in place. Yes. I mean, me as a black woman, I've had to not only deal with all of the things that I've dealt with and you would think it's trivial, but as a black woman, I've had to go through a journey with my hair because society has told me to be accepted, I have to have straight hair. So as a kid, I dealt with also on top of health issues, I've had to deal with relaxing my hair and putting chemicals in my hair to straighten my hair just to be accepted in a white dominated culture. And so I had to come to terms to love myself, to appreciate my hair that grows out of my head. And right in 2010, right before I moved to LA, I cut off all of my relaxed hair and decided to grow my hair in its natural state. And I've never changed it since. I've never straightened and relaxed my hair in the past 10 years. White people don't have to go through that. White people don't have to go through those things. So these are things that you are told that you have to adapt to a white culture just to be accepted. That is white supremacy. All of those things. And so, and all of the things that, um, all of the things that marginalize us is rooted in white supremacy. Ableism. So the ideal of of people with disabilities, the reason we aren't valued as people with disabilities is rooted in white supremacy. Because if you think about it, black people were used as slaves. So my ancestors, ancestors were brought to this country. We didn't choose to come here. My ancestors did not choose to come to America for a better life like a lot of other people from other countries. They came to America looking for a better life. My ancestors weren't brought here looking for a better life. My ancestors were brought here in chains on boats to work for free to build this country. That's number one that I think people aren't thinking about. My ancestors literally built this country being whipped and in chains to build literally the White House and everything that is here. All of the things, cotton, grain, all of those things, whoever has millions and millions of dollars who own cotton, grain, any of those things were all built on my ancestors' backs for free, first of all. Then, if you think about that, people look at people of color as what, so now we've, we are, and I'm trying to get my thoughts together. No, that's all right. I can hear you. I hear your emotion. It's beautiful. No, it's beautiful. I like, don't, don't, I like, it's amazing. We have built our country based on what people think we are capable of doing, based on what you think you can get out of us as labor. So when you think about people with disabilities, society doesn't feel they can get labor from us. They feel that we are just sucking the system and not adding any labor to the system. That is why I honestly feel people do not respect people with disabilities because they do not see that they can get any labor out of us. And that is the reason I feel, in my opinion, is why 
people with disabilities aren't respected and valued. But we don't put enough value in our country on rest, on owning your own business, mm. on just being, being creative. And we put so much emphasis on work, 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 work. For what? For these people who are at the top to make money off of us and then disrespect us? Mm. And so anybody that is oppressed, people of color, LGBTQ, people of dis with disabilities, it is all rooted in white supremacy. And so we all have to join forces together. If you are marginalized, we have to support one another. We have to join forces together to lift up what this country has been built on because it is inherently wrong and exhausting. <laughs> and it's, it's time for a change. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I felt like after that note, gosh, I wish that there was another seat running for you. Could, you could join in the presidential race. Cause that was like, that was <laughs> like, like, I mean, that was, you know, um, but yeah, I was like, I was like, I didn't know, I didn't even know what to say at the end of it. I, you are so right there. It, it is time for a change. And, you know, it's been, um, it's been a very interesting journey for me because I am an immigrant to this country. Um, but you know, I was also, uh, not, I was born in Australia, but my dad was an immigrant to Australia. So, you know, there've been different things that I've experienced in my lifetime, but I, it's been really kind of an eye opener as to how lucky a country it, like, you know, Australia is, um, how, uh, privileged we were really to grow up in the world that we have. And even hearing this stuff now with disabilities, you know, I've always said, um, you know, there's a lot of things that Australia do really, really well. I mean, certainly I think the disability movement has been a big one. Um, they've been, you know, like, you know, uh, I work for, as you, as you know, the Focus on Ability Short Film Festival and, um, you know, Nova Employment run that. And they're one of the largest disability employment agencies in Australia. And, you know, they are still doing that. And there's definitely a huge, um, you know, shift that's happened there. But, but in America, you know, which I now call my home, I'm, I'm amazed at being that they are really the trailblazers that are supposed to lead everything. There is still so much unrest with these issues that you're talking about. There is still so much discrimination. There is still so much inequality. There is still the fact that you have to, you know, be that, be that passionate about something because you still don't feel like your voice is heard. So I, you know, I, I really resonate and, and I am privileged and, and honored to have you on the show and hear to hear you talk about this because um, I, you know, I am an ally and I, I will stand up and fight for as, as much as I can, um, you know, for, for the, for the rights of everybody. Um, because I just think that's, that's me too. That's an inherent <laughs> right of being human. Right. I feel like that's, that's what yes. being is about, you know, that's, it, it just baffles me that people are just asking for basic human rights. rights. It's just like, that just blows my mind that people can actually want to stop and tell you to stop, give up. Why are just you fighting for just basic, to be treated as a basic human being? Like, mm -hmm. that's it. It's not like the Black Lives Matter movement is asking for people to, to like, we're asking to be superior to white people, or we're asking for you to just rid the world of all white people and just only black people exist. It's like, no, we are asking for the same equal access as our white counterparts, as our other counterparts that have more access and opportunities than we do. That's it. 
that is it. <laughs> and it's like, it just baffles my mind that I, I just don't understand it because I operate in a place of equality and, and equal access for all. That is just the way I see the world. And it just blows my mind that other people don't see it that way. And <laughs> but you know, what's great is, you know, you have an incredible voice and I'm so glad that you've had the journey that you've had because with it, comes a, you know, comes a fighter, you know, comes somebody that's going to stand up and, and, and make sure that they're heard. Um, and I really respect you for that. Um, and it's something that I've had to work really hard on, on learning it myself to have that same voice. But now that I'm here, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to be around people like yourself because they motivate me to keep speaking out and to keep changing. So you are doing it, you know, one person at a time, one moment at a time, but you are literally making the change. So, I'm grateful that the world has people like yourself. Um, we need more. Of Thank that. you. Thank so, you. I'm, I'm doing my best. But like you said, yes, we need more people standing up. We need more allies. We need more support. And when I say allies, I'm allies for all groups, allies all for people of color, LGBTQ, disability. We need allies in all of those spaces. And we just need to all support each other. I agree. And on that note, I want to thank you so much. Uh, can people find you on your socials? I, I, I will obviously post uh, in our thing about accessiblehollywood.com. And, and, you know, please let me know if, where people can follow you as well um, and see your work that you're doing. Yes. Um, so, yes, you can definitely check out accessiblehollywood.com. I haven't updated in a while. I've been so busy using my voice and speaking and doing a whole bunch of stuff that I haven't had a chance to update it. Shame on me. Um, <laughs> but also you can follow me on Instagram. Um, that is probably will you will see me do stuff the most is on Instagram at M-S-T-A-T-I-L-E-E, Miss Tati Lee. Um, my Twitter is the same. You can always tweet me. I, I'm there occasionally. I'm mad at myself because I don't tweet enough. Because um, then I always end up getting in some type of argument with people. So then it's like, <laughs> I just try to You? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so... So Miss Tati Lee on Twitter. And then, um, yeah, you can check me out Facebook. You can check out and like my Facebook page, I, Accessible Hollywood has a Facebook like page. And also uh, my brand as an actor and a model has a Facebook like page, which is Tatiana A. Lee. So you can check me out on there. And then I actually um, have a short film coming out too. Ooh, yes, that is going to premiere. That is going to premiere. Um, coming up soon. It is going to be at uh, Superfest. It's going to premiere. It's a short film called Stand Up, which I was excited to work on. So you can check out my short film at Superfest, which is the largest, um, the longest running disability um, uh, film festival. So check out Superfest. You can see my, sh my film short film, I mean, my short film um, Stand Up. I also will be on one of the panels there. And um, yeah, just Stay posted on, I'm always doing panels for Hollywood Entertainment, um, talking about disability inclusion and access and accessibility. Um, so yeah, hopefully some more content in the works. I'm planning on more digital content um, as far as modeling, more YouTube content. Check out my YouTube, Accessible Hollywood, all of that stuff. So just stay posted because you never know when I'm going to post content. Usually when I get a time to just be creative, I'll make something and I'll just drop it and you won't know. So 
follow on my channel so then you can just see when I either drop modeling content or, you know, like modeling and, and you know, photos on my Instagram or a new YouTube video or whatever. You just never know when I'm going to drop. I'm spontaneous like that. So just stay tuned. <laughs> love, love it. Well, you have been a, a amazing, amazing guest. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. And uh, this is Jessica Rorchik signing out and thanks for letting me be heard.